OSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We currently have a busy event schedule and will be attending many conferences in the next few months, including ESTRO, UKO and many of the regional study days. For a full list of where to meet us, please do get in touch. As well as our event schedule, we also have a busy product portfolio that has recently been updated to. This includes Sky Factory for state-of-the-art visual LED lighting. We have MyQA Ion and IonRT from IBA for automated patient-specific QA for photon, electron and proton radiotherapy. And we also have MR Box from our AI suppliers at Therapanacea, allowing AI-powered MR-only workflows for a more consistent and high-quality planning pathway. For SGRT, we have a vast range of open-faced thermoplastic masks, as well as surface-guided compatible clear bolus from ClearSight, preventing any risk of interference between the skin surface and your SGRT solution. And as always, do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable team. Our account and clinical specialists are from a radiotherapy and physics background, and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Hello everyone and welcome to Oncology Professional Care Day 2. My name is Norman Joel Granson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So we've got a wonderful colleague from McMillan joining us today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Jackie Graves. I'm the new uh, clinical nursing advisor for primary care at McMillan. Um, so I do that one day a week and then two days a week I work in clinical practice in a GP surgery um, fulfilling cancer care reviews predominantly. That's my role. What is a cancer care review? Ah, so a cancer care review sounds very fancy, but in reality, it's just an opportunity for patients to have a discussion about their cancer journey, what um, ongoing needs they have, what whether that's information needs, whether it's physical needs, psychological needs, um, and really looking to the future and thinking how they might self-manage in terms of obviously preventing a future cancer um, coming, so whether that's through physical activity, whether it's through losing weight, stopping smoking, you know, looking at their diet. So there's so many things that actually patients are in control of, um, you know, and it's really about reminding them that actually they have a role in this. We can give them the medicine, we can give them the radiotherapy and all of those other things, but ultimately, once that's all finished, they also have a role to play in that sort of self-management and living with and beyond um, cancer and not allowing that cancer experience really to define them for the rest of their lives. Because I think for many people, it is always life-changing, even if it's not life-limiting. So I think it's about supporting them and knowing that there is local care within their community so that, again, we can signpost to local things. Jackie, do you think there's issues around geography because I know accessibility to some of these services is very dependent on where you live in the country. Yeah absolutely so it's a growing field because um, the quality outcomes framework changed um, and it's now obviously comes with money not that money always makes prices but ultimately <laughs> GP surgeries are expected um, to now meet the cloth requirements which is a review within three months of being offered a review three months of a diagnosis and then within 12 months from that diagnosis. I've learned that it's better to actually do them sort of at about six to 12 months when they've really finished treatment. 
treatment. So the whole time they're going through treatment, they're seeing guys like you during their treatment, there's other specialist nurses, you know, junior site specific specialist nurses. There's that whole MDT approach when they're actually in the cancer centre bubble. But it's when they get chucked out of that bubble that they're all of a sudden, you know, back in their community, slightly reeling and thinking, well, what happens now? And trying to make sense of what they've been through as well as looking forward to the future. So it is a bit of a postcode lottery at the moment, but increasingly there are roles like mine cropping up in primary care. And the most important thing for me, having been a secondary care nurse most of my life, is actually making that link between primary and secondary care. So I phone my CNS colleagues in the cancer centre if I'm not sure about something or if I've got questions or if I'm concerned about a particular patient. So having that direct dialogue between the kind of, you know, community and um, the secondary care teams. I'd definitely say that's maybe a limitation that we find in radiotherapy that because we're quite isolated and we now have a lot more advanced practice, we have consultancy therapeutic radiographers, that actually there is maybe a disconnect between radiotherapy specifically and primary care. How do you think we can go about supporting the evolution of conversations and developing the service and practice? I mean, I think in some ways it's very much up to the to people like me as practice nurses to actually reach out. Yeah. So to actually, you know, contact the local radiotherapy team, explain who I am, what I'm doing, whether that's via email, try to see whether or not you can go into perhaps a, a team meeting or an education session, you know, perhaps a lunchtime session, to talk about what you're doing in primary care, because I think it's actually understanding each roles and how we can then, you know, optimise that by working together. Um, so, you know, I don't you guys are, you know, absolutely snowed under. So literally <laughs> under, as June said a moment ago, underground. Um, you know, and it's up to you know us to reach out and say we're here. Yeah. I think the limiting factor more than anything is the fact that I only cover one particular GP practice within the primary care network, um, and there isn't an equivalent at the moment in the other um, GP practices. So again, it's quite difficult for you guys as radiographers to actually know well, is that a Windrush medical yeah, practice yeah. patient or isn't it because yeah. if it is I can contact Jackie but if it isn't actually I don't know who's contact um, but I'm working with the um, integrated care board um, cancer lead to really look at that um, and see whether or not we can try and get some level of equity across our particular geography and I would hope that elsewhere in other geographies people are doing something very similar. How can we support primary care um, in two years that I've been doing cancer care reviews, I've never yet had a treatment summary. Um, which, given that I worked that in that really before, oh, you know, and, and we're so methodical about <laughs> doing them as well. Yep, it's such I've, a waste of resources. We do so much within hospital, like from my from my role. Yep. And if you don't get that info, we're clearly not passing the care yep. on. So I, I spent literally sometimes, you know, half an hour prepping to see a patient prior to a cancer care review. So they complete an EHNA on the Metminum platform. I review that in advance so that I know what are the things that matter to them. Um, and I also then call through Docman to see all the secondary care letters to try to make sense of, you know, kind of what 
uh, treatment journey have they been on? Is it surgery, plus radiotherapy, or chemo, pre-surgery, you know, yeah. so that I've got the full picture. But that can take quite some time. I was going to say, that, that could be an hour, couldn't it? Let alone if you can't access any of the notes that are behind yeah. certain firewalls. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, having a one-page treatment summary, which has actually been around for nearly 10 years now, you know, where everybody's captured the surgery, the radiotherapy, the chemotherapy, you know, and particularly for me, sort of medium to long-term side effects. I'm very aware of the short-term side effects, but I don't know what I'm looking for necessarily, you know, five, ten years down the line. As a head and neck sickness, interestingly, we saw quite a lot of patients at about the five-year mark who then were getting uh, thyroid cancer as a result of radiotherapy. So that's the so obviously I'm aware that, that it can cause problems, um, but you know things like radiation induced um, fibrosis. You know, actually, what is out there to be able to support people with that? Um, you know, and at the moment I'm learning, obviously today and yesterday, <laughs> in terms of some of the things that are becoming available, but I have no idea whether they're available locally. You know, scar management. I actually come from a burns and plastic surgery background originally, um, and was involved in the King's Cross fire as a student nurse. So scar work and that is really important. Actually, softening scars to reduce the amount of fibrosis is really important. But it's not usually taught very well in terms of on discharge or completion of treatment. I don't mean by you guys, but certainly the surgery yeah. teams are not good at it, um, and chemotherapy teams obviously don't really think it's it's their bag. But actually, like anything, it's, it's everyone's <laughs> job. <laughs> oh, Jackie, I think we could talk about this all day and we'll have to get you on for an extended podcast episode. But thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you.